this has nothing to do with my sermon, and I just every time I hear it, though, I can't not say it. Verse, I love verse 25 of John 21 when it says, if everything Jesus did was written down, we couldn't contain it. And I don't even know what to do with that other than just like, that is so cool. It's like <laughs> that John just says, like, we wouldn't even be able to fathom. And so that has nothing to do with my sermon, but just every time I read that. Uh, as we begin this morning, though, how many of you uh, asked the question of if you've seen uh, this master class thing, the ads for it, or maybe you've seen it online. There's a website now called Masterclass, and you can go on this website. And what it is, is you buy a subscription for the year and there's all these people that are basically masters at what they do that then teach a class on it. And so kind of their tagline is you're getting uh, access to people that you maybe normally wouldn't wouldn't have access to that are brilliant at what they do and in their field. And so um, we got a subscription to it uh, for Christmas this year because my boys wanted to watch the one where Steph Curry teaches basketball. If you know who Steph Curry is, the MVP and the NBA and my kids love him. And so they watch this and he teaches you how to shoot and what to do and dribble and all these things. I got it because I wanted to watch Frank Gary talk about architecture. If you know who Frank Gary is, he's a very famous architect and he teaches you about design and uh, all, all sorts that Martin Scorsese teaches one on filmmaking. And so it's like all these people, they're kind of the very top of what they do, teaching you on how they do what they do. And it's very uh, fascinating to watch someone who's truly a master that spent their life in this field kind of showing you how they do what they do. And so I've really enjoyed watching those and, and kind of watching some of it with the boys as far as the basketball one. But I was thinking about those classes and then thinking about how every time Jesus opens his mouth, it's a master class on what he's talking about. That uh, when we started this series, uh, we're we're about to wrap up next week on this series where we've been going chronologically through uh, the life of Jesus and looking at these things. When we started at the very beginning in John 1 where it says Jesus is the Logos, we said that Jesus is truth embodied. And that when Jesus speaks, we're hearing the reality of how things are. And so anything he touches on is the truth. It's exactly as it is. Uh, But this morning, as we come to the end of John and we're in John chapter 21 here, I I see this in a lot of ways as a master class on what discipleship looks like. As Jesus goes to his disciples and he meets them and he, 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 he pursues them and what he says to Peter and the way he talks to him, he's showing us what it looks like uh, to, to make disciples who then go and make disciples. And we say this often here, if you've been around Church of the Apostles at all, that that is our mission as a church is to make disciples that make disciples. I think it's the only mission that God gave us as as the church is we are to go and proclaim who he is as we grow in obedience to him in every area of our life and help one another to do so. And so as we look at this text and we see Jesus's master class on what discipleship looks like, this is vitally relevant and important for who we are as a church and not just this local church, but as the church as a whole. This is what we are called to be, to be disciples who make disciples. And so we see this picture here of Jesus with Peter in particular as he comes and it tells us this is the third time he's come to his disciples and he meets them on the shores where he first called them. And we see this intimate portrait of Jesus with Peter. And I want us to think about this this morning, this this image of what he's doing here with Peter, because it is so vital for us to see the way he relates to Peter in his struggle and in his sin and in his failure, but then also what it teaches us about how we relate to others. And so as we do that, but before we do that, let me just build a bridge real quickly where we've been the last couple of weeks. If you were with us last week, uh, we celebrated Easter. 
the Friday before we celebrated Good Friday. And so the way all that lays out is, is on Thursday night before Jesus is crucified, he goes to the upper room with his disciples and he spends time with them and they, they share the Passover meal and he institutes the Lord's Supper and he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit and what's about to happen and how he's going to take him away. And in that time, he tells them that the, sh- the shepherd is going to be struck and all the sheep are going to scatter. He says, you're all going to take off. You're going to leave me. And Peter, as he normally does, goes, I will never do that. Right. And he even says, like, the rest of these guys may do that, but I will never leave you. I will lay down my life. There's no way, Jesus. And that's kind of the way Peter is. He always jumps in there and says what he's thinking. And Jesus turns to him and says, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the day's over. And he tells Peter. And and, and so after that scene, they go out. Jesus is arrested. His sham of a trial takes place. And then Friday morning, he's crucified. But in that trial scene, the Gospels tell us that Peter was following from a distance and he was watching it unfold. And he does deny Jesus three times, just as he tells him. And so then Jesus is crucified, resurrection on Sunday as they find the empty tomb, which we celebrated last week. And then Jesus appears to his disciples over a period of 40 days and then he ascends. And we'll look at that next week. We'll finish next week with the ascension of Jesus, the last thing he says before he ascends to the Father. But where we sit now is probably two weeks, somewhere in the middle of that. As Jesus is now in these post-resurrection coming to them, coming to the disciples and teaching them and showing them uh, kind of what all has taken place and what it means. And so this episode here is helpful for us growing as disciples, but also in making disciples. And and the reason I say that, or, or a big part of the reason I say that, is I think Jesus shows us what it looks like to lead someone, someone through repentance. As he comes to Peter and he meets him in the midst of his failure and his shame and his guilt and his struggle and Jesus comes to him. You know, the life of a disciple is one of continual repentance. I don't know if you've thought about that. Maybe we've, you've heard that before. But to be a follower of Jesus that's growing in obedience in every area of our life, beginning to see everything through the lens of the gospel, is going to be a life of continual repentance. Repentance means to change one's mind, to turn from the way I was thinking and turn towards God and begin to follow him. And so every area of our life and our heart is continually having to go through this process as Jesus brings us from one degree of glory to another. And so it's always going to look like this. It's always going to be this life of continual repentance. Uh, The Bible talks about this over and over. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Take every thought captive. Continue to bring these things back to who you now are in Jesus and what that looks like. And so what happens day to day is the circumstances of my life and my sinfulness and my flesh and these things pop up. And I want to go back to walking in a way that is opposite of what God's calling me to. But when his word comes to bear on that, I turn and I take those thoughts captive and I turn back to him and I repent and I continue to follow him. And so our life is going to be one of continual repentance. And so when we look at a passage where Jesus is walking Peter through what that looks like, it is vitally relevant for us in every day of our life of seeking to follow Jesus. And so I want us to look at this text this morning with that in mind, because the truth is we're going to struggle at different times. Even as a believer, we struggle with unbelief. 
That doesn't mean you're not a believer, but it means in certain areas of your life, you're not fully believing who God is and what he's done. And we're tempted to live out of that unbelief. And so we need to continue to hear the gospel. We need to continue to be uh, corrected. We need to continue to have people speaking truth to us. That's why we talk so often about being in a community, uh, being in a a missional community group or a DNA group where you meet three guys together, three ladies together or a smaller group so that we can confess and share those things and continue to walk that out. And so all of this to say, this is so important what we see Jesus doing here. And we see the master, the master class on what that looks like. It's like the perfect surgeon that is the healer that is coming to do exactly what Peter needs And we need to see this. And so there's two ways I really want you to hear this as we look at this text together. First, I want you to fight to see yourself in Peter's shoes. To see Jesus speaking to you as he does to Peter. Every single one of us in our sin, in our struggles, in our rebellion, and in the things that we we wrestle with need to hear Jesus' words here. And so fight to see yourself in Peter's shoes. But then secondly, out of that, I want you to see how Jesus models for us what it looks like to help others, to disciple others. But I want you to be very careful as you think about that. That's kind of a heart check for you. Do you hear each sermon as we open God's word together as, oh, this is really good. I need to tell so and so. Maybe that's your default. Oh, I can't wait to share that with this person. They really need to hear that. And and I want to. Uh, temper that but that's good to want to share it with others but if we don't see jesus speaking to us and his grace to us and this we can't go help other people if we're not receiving the grace of jesus and basking in who he is and what he's done for us we're going to be no good to helping others we're not going to be making disciples not of jesus anyway and so we want to make sure that we hear what god is saying to you and then how does that work to help others in that So let's look at this story together in John chapter 21. And so you see right at the beginning of the chapter that Peter says, let's go fishing. And they say, "Okay, we'll go with you. And they go back to right where we saw these guys starting as we're introduced to them three years prior. They're fishermen and they kind of go back to their thing. And I think they're wrestling with a lot about what their calling looks like and what they're supposed to be. They've heard the good news that Jesus is resurrected. He's beginning to explain and teach to them, but they're still wrestling with what that looks like. And so here they are back in their boat fishing. And it says as they were fishing that Jesus comes up and he stood on the shore and he's waiting for them and they haven't caught anything. And he tells them to move their nets. Move it to the other side of the boat, just like he did way back when they first met him. And so they do. And they hear this voice from the shore telling them to try the other side. So they do it. And immediately they catch a huge thing of fish. And it says, John, as they saw it and he saw what was happening, said, it's Jesus. He's there. And Peter, like he always does, is the first to hit the water. (laughs) Right. Peter jumps, pulls his shirt off, goes flying in, takes off. Doesn't wait on anybody. We still see Peter making great, big, huge kind of Peter gestures. I'll be the first in the water. I'll be the first to get to him. I'm going. And he does. And he gets there. But then notice what it says in verse nine. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. 
And I want you to notice just the, the beautiful picture that we see here, the intimacy of our Savior, that he comes and he seeks these guys out and he fixes breakfast for them. And he comes to see them where they are and meet them in the midst of, of their need and even in Peter and his struggle of what uh, he'd gone through, his denying Jesus, his running away from him, all of these things that no doubt he was struggling with. And so I want you to think about that beautiful picture of Jesus meeting them where they are and fixing them breakfast. And there he is with the fire laid out. Can you imagine Jesus there fixing a meal for you and serving you in this way? The God of the universe is there cooking your breakfast. I bet it's pretty good. I would bet he didn't burn anything. But there it is as they come to have breakfast. And then look at as he begins to deal with Peter, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love him? Love me. And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And I want you to get the picture here of what Jesus is doing as we think about discipleship, repentance, what this looks like. If you flash back to what happened on the night that Jesus was, uh, his trial took place and then the following morning as he's crucified. In John chapter 18, it says this. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. And in Luke's gospel, it adds, and then the Lord turned and looked at Peter and he went out and wept bitterly. And so Luke says that right as he says this, the rooster crows and Jesus locks eyes with him and looks at him. And this is as Jesus is in the middle of his trial, as they're spitting on him and, and punching him and they're drawing him out. And this is Peter going, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And three times he does that as he's around the fire, standing there, warming himself. Now, I want you to get the scene. What's happening here? Jesus builds a fire. He comes and meets Peter there. He makes breakfast for him. After breakfast, he asks him three times. And if you go back to the night before, the Thursday night in the upper room, when Jesus says the, the shepherd will be struck and all the sheep will scatter. And Peter goes, they might do that, but I won't. And so I want you to think about the questions that Jesus asked. Why he asked three times. Why he starts with in the first one, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you see what he's doing? Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? He's taking him back and he's bringing him face to face with his sin and his pride and his arrogance and the way that he's dealt with these things. And he's bringing it to light. And Jesus is showing him what it looks like to face his sin head on and to see it so often uh, in our discipleship, we can kind of. Uh, lay aside uh, or we can gloss over sin or we can start to shade it to where it's, it's really not that bad. 
or, or the wickedness of our heart is very good at making excuses for our own sin. We're really good at acting like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. Or we talk about it in very generic terms. Instead of naming the sin and what it is and it leading to confession, oftentimes we skip that step because it's uncomfortable. And we don't want to go there. And so oftentimes we'll, we'll be good at saying and making excuses for the things that we do or we say or the way we respond. Uh, we lose our temper and yell at our kids and you know, say, well, but I told them five times before. Or we maybe do the same thing with our spouse or our coworker. Or we, we use cutting words or we're, we're sarcastic and we're ugly or we say things and we go, yeah, but I was just kidding. And we're really good at making excuses for our sin. But the truth is, the things that come out of our heart in those moments, whether we were provoked or whether it's I've told my kids five times and now I'm screaming and losing my temper. Whatever comes out was already there, was already in my heart. It's just in those moments and in those circumstances, what's in my heart gets revealed. And what gets revealed is I'm a sinful, broken person. And so the first thing I want you to see here is Jesus goes right at Peter's sin and he brings it into the light and he directly asks Peter three times. And Peter's grieved and he's struggling with it, but Jesus doesn't let him off. And he's not doing it to beat him up, but he's doing it to to bring true gospel repentance. And the first step that we need to see is confession of sin. Of bringing those things into the light. First John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is forgiveness and there is cleansing and what Jesus has done. But the first step that he says is if we confess our sins. And so confession of bringing those things out into the light is so very important. And we need to hear this as disciples and followers of Christ, as Christians. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you have everything together. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. What it means is that you are forgiven. That's what defines us, who we are in light of what Jesus has done. We are sinful, broken people. And we desperately need the grace of God. But that first step in truly going forward and following him in every area of our life is to be able to say and confess the things that are there. Not to hide them. In first John, it talks about bringing things into the light. Things that are in the darkness can't be in the light. And so bringing those things out and confessing. And so the first step is so vitally important. I remember my brother Jeremiah telling me about uh, an internship, uh, a small group he did in his church in Boston when he was in seminary. They said it was five or six guys that were all in seminary together that were going through this. His church was right outside where he went to seminary. And so there were a lot of them kind of in the church at that time. And he said we'd meet with our pastor, Matt, once a month. And he said the first thing he would do every month, he said we'd come in and we'd sit down and he'd confess. He said you'd walk in and he'd just start telling you everything in his heart and what he was dealing with and what he was struggling with. And he said he'd lay it all out on the table. And he said it was so uncomfortable. It was hard. Like this guy's just lay everything out there. He said, but still to this day, what I learned from 
my pastor Matt Jeremiah was telling me was that he desperately needed Jesus every single day. He said that's the one thing that stands out of all the things he taught me is he would confess and he would do it because he wanted to be that to be out of his life. And he wanted to lay those things out there. And so the first step when we start to think about what this looks like of discipleship and a life of continual repentance is we have to be willing to confess our sin. It tells us in Scripture to confess our sin one to another. And so we need to have people in our life. That's why if you go outside on the wall to the fellowship hall and it talks about disciples who make disciples. And then it says going deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. You need a small group of people in your life that you can confess, that can then speak the gospel back to you. We have to have that if we're truly going to grow in the way Jesus calls us to. And so the first thing you see here with Peter is he brings these things out. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? He goes right to those. Do you love me more than these? He asked him three times around the fire. He's showing him. But the second thing I want you to see as we begin to think about, and, and, and before I even move on, it, as important as that is, as you start to think about how you do this with other people, I just want to remind you that it's Jesus that pursues Peter here. That it's Jesus that shows up, that's on the shore, that's cooked the breakfast, that's waiting for Peter who denied him, who, who said he didn't know him, who left him at his deepest and darkest moment and fled. But Jesus is the one that pursues him. Right? In our thinking, Jesus could have just folded his arms and gone, you know what? I'm going to wait until Peter comes and apologizes. I'm right here. But that's not who God is. Thankfully, that's not what the gospel is. God is so gracious that he continues to pursue us in all things. And you see this beautiful picture of Jesus pursuing Peter. Second thing, though, notice what Jesus doesn't say here. And I like the, the surgeon analogy uh, of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And that's why I read at the beginning Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces the soul and of the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And what you see is as Jesus begins to walk Peter through this repentance, as he's restoring him to send him out in ministry and on mission, to make disciples that make disciples as he calls Peter into this. He never once talks about Peter's pride. He doesn't talk about uh, how cowardly he is or how arrogant his words were or how quickly he deserted him. Jesus only goes to Peter's affections. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? See, so often when we start to think about discipleship, we end up kind of falling into this place of just kind of an outward uh, behavior modification. Right? You're telling half truth, so stop lying. Don't lie. You're being cowardly, so be courageous. And, and we start to just address the fruit that's coming out in our life rather than the heart or the root of that. But with here, what Jesus does is he just goes to Peter's affections. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And so when we think about what discipleship looks like to truly grow in the grace and the knowledge of who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done, we have to go to the very root of the matter. Not just the behavior, 
But what is it that I'm believing that's leading to that behavior? Let me go. I'm eaten up with worry. And maybe you struggle with that. You get very anxious and you're worried about your future and what's going to happen and what it looks like and having enough money to pay bills or do whatever it may be. And so we can come alongside each other and seek to disciple one another and go, don't worry. Stop worrying. It's okay. That's behavior modification. That's true. God tells us, don't be anxious for anything. But what am I not believing is true about God that's leading me to worry? Not believing the God of the universe is in control of all things. And he knows every hair on my head. And he knows everything about me. And he loves me and he's in control and he's at work. And I needed to be reminded of those things because that's what I'm struggling to believe in those moments. And if we only stay with, don't worry. Be courageous. Tell the truth. We're not getting to the root of the problem. And so what you see Jesus doing here is he goes right to Peter's affections. Do you love me? There's a part of Peter's heart, and it's the same as yours and mine, that we forget the fullness of who Jesus is. And we start to put him in this little box and we go, oh, no, I'm so worried. And Jesus is going, I overcame the world. I defeated sin and death. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. And you need people in your life that hear what you're struggling with and where you're wrestling. And then they don't just say, don't be anxious. They go, what are you not believing is true about God right now? Because I need to remind you who God is. And that's not a not to slap you with it. That's not to beat you down with it. But that is to encourage you of what is true of you in Christ in that moment. And you see Jesus doing that when he continues to talk about what Peter loves. You don't see him go to behavior modification. Now, there's a side note to all that. If we're struggling with sin in our life and we've built in bad habits and bad things, we might need to do some behavior modification. We might need to have people come and walk with us and let's begin to establish some new patterns and some new disciplines as we're talking about the truth of what's going on in our heart. Those go together. It's not one or the other. Does that make sense? But we don't want to get into a place where it's just behavior modification. Because what happens when we do that is we end up being prideful, arrogant people that look at everything through what I do. If I'm walking through everything through I've put these systems in place and it's through my discipline and it's through what I do when I'm doing well, it's like, hey, look at me. I do all these things rather than getting to the heart matter of trusting Jesus and everything. Do you see how important those are and how they go together? And so what you see Jesus doing here is getting to the heart. He doesn't just uh, uh, change the dressing on the wound. He's the surgeon that's cutting down deep to get out the problem. I've used this analogy before. Maybe you've heard me say this. My brother, uh, Jed, years ago, got a spider bite on his arm and it was red and kind of hurting. And so he put some neosporin on it and put a bandaid on it. He didn't know it was a spider bite to his credit. He didn't know. Three days later, he takes the bandaid off, his arm's killing, and now it's this big around. It's like, whoa. And he goes to the doctor, and they're like, you got bit by a poisonous spider, and your arm is being eaten. 
And so they had to dig all of that out to fix the problem and then pack it and then put it back. Right. And so when we go to behavior modification, just don't do this. And we don't address the issue underneath the sin, what's going on in our heart. It's like putting a Band-Aid on the poison. It's continuing to eat away and we're never getting to the heart of it. And so what Jesus is doing here when he's asking Peter about, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? He's getting to his heart's affections, not just the, the fruit of what comes out of not trusting him. And so that's the second thing when we think about gospel repentance. We confess our sin, but then we go to the root of the issue, not just the surface. But then the last thing when we start to think about how true heart change comes. As we get to the heart of all that, the sin under the sin, and it starts to come out and we see where we're not trusting Jesus. That's where we meet Jesus in the midst of gospel repentance. And that's where the gospel can come to bear. As I confess my sin and I see that I'm a sinner that's in desperate need and my heart gets revealed to the things that I'm not trusting about who Jesus is and what he's done. And then the gospel comes and God says, I love you. And I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I love you so much that I went to lay down my life for you to take your sin upon myself that you can be restored. And what happens when that is the case? When the grace of God comes in and it meets me in the midst of my sin and my unbelief. is the grace of God begins to change me. When I begin to see the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, that's where change happens. And here's the problem. So often we believe change happens from behavior modification and not by the grace of God. And so we want to tell people, this is what you do and stop doing this and do it like this. And then we don't show them the grace of Jesus. And we don't remind them of the great love of God and what he's done for us. But it is that grace that changes us. And so it can be very subtle at different times. But when we really start to see it, there's a good uh, gospel, if I could call it that, gospel grief. Look at verse 17, what happens. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want you to think about the the difference between a good grief and a true gospel grief. Right. Uh, Or a a poor grief. It's not helpful. Sometimes we can be grieved if someone calls us on our sin because it's like, oh, no, I, I got found out. And this is embarrassing. And our pride gets wounded and our heart, you know, the way people perceive us, we don't like the way they perceive us. And so we don't like that. And so we might be grieved by that feeling. You follow what I mean? For example, I went and played. uh, This was a couple years ago. I was playing basketball with guys I've played basketball with for years. And in the middle of a game, uh, guys are arguing and I got into an argument with a guy and it was kind of it was not a good look. All right. So I'm confessing as your pastor, I was a jerk when I was playing basketball, right? Very competitive and I get into it and kind of ugly. And, and afterwards, a um, couple of games later, went and apologized to the guy. We were fine. We got along and I left. But for two days, I was so upset. I was like, I can't believe I blew it like that. I can't believe I acted that way. I can't believe I got so mad over a game. And I was going through all these things in my head and I was really grieved by it. 
But what happened is I really stopped and I thought about it. It was so clear to me. All of a sudden, it was by God's grace that he's showing you. I was grieved because of what they might think of me. They know I'm a pastor. And there's the pastor acting like a jerk when he's playing basketball. And I was upset what they were looking at me and what they thought. And God, in his infinite mercy, showed me that. He said, you're not grieved because you're... You're making a mockery of my name. You're grieved because of what people think of you. And in that moment, God's grace floods in. And he goes, that's why I died. I died for you because you're a mess. And I love you. And I'm going to redeem you. And suddenly my poor grief went to a good grief that pointed me to the greatness of Jesus and what he's done for me. And suddenly I could give it up. Suddenly I wasn't worried about what people thought of me. I knew that Jesus knew and he had forgiven me and that's all that matters. And his grace is sufficient in my weakness and I can trust in him and it begins to melt my heart. And that's what a good grief looks like. That it points us to what Jesus has done and who he is and how he's forgiven us and that you are loved completely and totally and fully in what Christ has done and nothing else. But we don't get there when we hide our sin. We don't get there when we don't have people speaking the truth to our heart and where we're struggling. We need to hear the truth of the gospel in all things. And when that happens, our identity begins to change. It is no longer about me and my performance, but it's about Jesus and what he's done and his great grace for me and my life. And it begins to change the way I say things. It changes your pride. Instead of, look, I'm a pretty good person. It's I'm a mess, but God is good and he is gracious and he meets me in the middle of it. And I want you to think about what happens here with Peter. Peter was a go-getter. I'm going to jump out and be the first out of the boat. I'm the first one to make the statement. I'm the first one to say everything, right? He says a lot of dumb things. But he has a zeal for God. And he's so excited to tell people. And God was going to use that. But you see God working even in Peter's failure. He denies Jesus three times. And I think this was a great humbling thing in his life. And then Jesus comes and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he restores him. And then he says, great, go feed my sheep. You follow me and you go make disciples. And through that understanding of who God is and what he's done for him and the great grace of Jesus in his life, Peter went out and helped lead the church in the gospel to the ends of the earth. He went on to lay his life down as he followed Jesus. It says that in verse 18, right? Jesus says to him, the day is going to come where they're going to take you where you don't want to go and they're going to stretch your hands out. And he's talking about John says he said that so that he would. He's telling him about how he would die. Peter was crucified. Crucified for being and bearing witness to who Jesus is. The guy who denied Jesus three times because he wanted to save his own behind. Then goes and lays down his life proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the reason is it's because he saw the grace of who Jesus is and what he had done for him. And that's at the heart of everything that we're called to be his disciples. So we have to confess, bring the the heart of what's going on, but then see the glory of Jesus and his forgiveness to meet our need. So let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you meet us in the midst of our sin, that you continue to show us that you love us, that you care for us, that you are at work in all ways and all things. I pray that you would help us to rest in our identity in you, that we would find the freedom to be able to speak the truth and love to one another, that we'd be quick to confess our sin, to repent and turn to you in all things, and that you would be glorified uh, in our lives and in our discipleship in this church and in this body, that you would just continue to draw us to be more and more like you in all things, that we would spread your glory to all places. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.